If you have your Bibles, please open them to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 5 through 13 as we continue our series in the body of Christ. And today we'll be talking about prayer in the body of Christ. And given the, the fact that it's Reformation Day tomorrow, I figured we would start our sermon today with a Martin Luther quote who God used to reclaim the scriptures and to remind us of the great salvation that God has provided in Christ. I love this quote by Luther. Listen up. Luther said, work, work from morning until late at night. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Now, perhaps that sounds quite tedious to most of us. Uh, and three hours of prayer is. But I think Luther's point is for us to consider that we are so desperately dependent upon God, no matter how busy we are in life, that we must sit at his throne and commune with the Almighty faithfully. Perhaps one day we will get to this sort of approach to daily prayer and to daily life. In our context today, we are pretty much smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And in this section of scripture, Jesus is warning against practicing uh, religious disciplines rightly uh, and then also practicing religious differences wrongly. And so he's kind of drawing a distinction. He's giving examples in giving and in fasting and then here in our context today in prayer. What does it look like to be faithful in prayer and what does he warn against in praying falsely? Now, we want to consider prayer in the body of Christ as the church because we desire to be a healthy church. We desire to commune and fellowship with God. And so praying is an opportunity for us to sit face-to-face -face with the living God. In fact, it's impossible to be a healthy church if we are a church that does not pray and pray faithfully. I remember, and you probably do as well, Luke chapter 11, when the disciple says to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. I do hope that that's our posture today, that we would ask God to teach us to pray, that we would sit in the school of Jesus as students and hear what his word has to say about it. Uh, this is really our responsibility today. I love Andrew Murray. He is a faithful pastor and who is a missionary advocate. This is what he said about prayer. He said, Lord Jesus, enroll my name among those who need to learn to pray. Lord, teach me to be patient as I ought so that you can train me to pray. Beloved, we need to be trained in prayer. All of us do, including your pastor. Now, I recognize that today, at the time that we have, we're not going to be able to get into all the intricacies or the theology of prayer. Uh, the aim for today would be able to walk, for us to walk away with some ideas about the heart of prayer. Uh, recognizing there's going to be many things left off the table today, and I recognize that. But we do want to see from God's word from Jesus himself as he's instructing his disciples what it is to pray. And so look with me in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5, as I read the scripture over you. Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, 
For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of God. Now the main point I want us to see today is this. We want to be a people that pray this way. Prayer that desires fellowship with God. We want to be a people that pray in fellowship with God. God. And there's going to be two subpoints today. One, Jesus gives us a warning of religious prayer. That's in verses 5 and 7. And then Jesus talks about the rewards of relational prayer. That's verses 6, 8 through 13. Relational prayer, meaning relationship with God in prayer. As we begin this section of scripture, notice what Jesus begins with. It's a, re- it's a warning regarding prayer. Verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. And this is how we actually arrive at our first point today, the warning of religious prayer. Specifically, Jesus is warning against practicing prayer as a means to impress others with outward forms of righteousness. Look what he says as verse 5 continues. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Well, why would Jesus warn those listening of this, well, he's warning because this is actually a possibility for mankind. We can pray in a way that is not pleasing to God. And he calls these people hypocrites. Hypocrites simply means those who act or pretend. In this case, those who act or pretend to know God. He knows that they don't know God. He knows that they don't love God because Jesus knows all things and he can see the fruit that is being produced in their life. He knows that these hypocrites want to be worshipped ultimately by their peers. That they want to be highly thought of. They want to have prestige amongst their people. Honor and power. The glory of God is not their objective when they pray. This is who these people are. In fact, they use God as a means to prop themselves up. To highlight their own glory. But in actuality, it reveals the full scope of their carnal humanity. We see these people being hypocrites, praying that they may be seen by others, highly thought of. We see this elsewhere in James chapter 4. He says, you ask not, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Because you spend what you ask on your own passions. What this is doing is revealing their own motivation their own desire to be highly visible, highly sought after. Look what it says in verse 5. Truly I say to you, Jesus says, these have received their reward. Well, what is their reward? What is the reward that Jesus is talking about? Well, the reward is is simply this, 
that they would be admired by their peers. This is the end of the goal. And Jesus is actually giving them exactly what they want, at least for a moment's time. This is fake temporal glory that strokes the ego for a moment, but then it vanishes. It goes away. It burns off like dew in the morning. This is their reward, which is in fact not a reward at all. And if we were to take our own souls to task, if we were to do inventory on our own hearts, the applause of men is a temptation for us all. It is something that we internally seek after. It's the fruit that is offered to us like in the garden. It's beautiful, it's shiny, it uh, has promises attached to it, but the, the moment we bite into it, it's rotten and dead. Uh, so when we think about hypocrites, we have to take our own souls to task first. I remember my freshman year at the University of Oklahoma. There was a fellowship of Christian athletes Bible study on Thursday night. And one of the coaches in the athletic department was teaching. And he did a fine job from what I remember from the text. But that same coach on Friday morning, some 12 hours later, was leading the workout for the majority of the athletes that morning. And he came in trying to pump all the athletes up, saying everything under the sun that did not correlate with the very lesson that he taught the night before. And I remember thinking there is a significant difference there. Now, I don't mean to disparage that man at all. I hope he's walking with God today, truly. The greatest lesson that I learned from that moment is remembering that the way I live and what I say in different settings doesn't always line up. I remember feeling very convicted there. We all seek the approval of man. Or we wrongly seek after the approval of God. This is the sin of all of us in the room. And Jesus is pointing it out here. He continues in verse 7 with this warning. Talking to the pagans and the Gentiles. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. This is such a frightening phrase because it's possible to be enthralled with your own oratory skills in your prayer. To be throwing up phrases and theology for the sake of vanity. Uh, heaping up babble. And Jesus calls this vain Repetitions. The pagans would at times throw up phrases, knocking at the door, hoping that the pagan gods would listen. And this is kind of the idea that Jesus is getting out here. Perhaps even some superstitious type repetitions. And if we were to think about the prayers that we murmur sometimes at bedtime or at our meals, these more than likely sometimes have their roots in vain repetitions just like this. And yet Jesus is getting He's giving a warning here. And you, and you notice who Jesus says is hearing these prayers. Look with me at the end of verse 7. For they think that these prayers will be heard by their many words. Nobody is listening. Nobody hears these vain prayers. False prayer has no audience except for those who are standing around. So we have the tendency to want to be known and seen highly by people. And we have a tendency to murmur and pray 
to someone who is not listening because we do so in a manner that is not worthy of what our God is worthy of. Perhaps you remember in 1 Kings chapter 18, the prophets of Baal as they're standing off against Elijah and they are praying and crying out to their God, but there is no voice that gives an answer. No one is listening to them. There is, in fact, a wrong way to pray. And we need to know that because we've probably been guilty of it. And there's plenty of opportunities for us to express this type of prayer, even amongst ourselves. Now, the truly converted heart, even though we can still struggle with these types of prayers, the truly converted heart will begin to combat this with the Spirit. We'll begin to recognize those sinful desires as they're creeping up and begin to push those away. Lord, help us. Because you can pray right language, you can pray right things, and yet the heart behind it can be quite empty. Lord, help us in this. Now, look at this transition here. We want to see now how we are supposed to pray. Jesus loads us with sound doctrine regarding prayer in this passage. So yes, there is a warning of unrighteous prayer, but then there is such glorious reward for righteous, good, biblical prayer. And this is where we get our second point for today. That's the rewards of relational prayer. Rewards of relational prayer, meaning relationship with God, fellowship with God in our prayer. Now, these verses really help us realize the intimate relationship that we are to have with the God that we pray to, the God that we rely on. Our communion with God, our fellowship with God actually affects our community with others as this passage will bring light to. Now, there's three little takeaways that I want us to consider today. Uh, from, from the second point. The first takeaway is found in verse 6, that we can pray to God intimately or pray to God directly. Look in verse 6. But when you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So first, there's an expectation. Look what Jesus says. When you pray, Jesus wants his people to pray. He wants his people to go to the Father in heaven and to pray. Going to pray in secret reveals an inner motivation, a motivation that these Pharisees and these pagans did not have that Jesus is calling out. Now, Jesus is not saying that public prayer is bad, but private prayer informs our public life. And he wants us to have a relationship with God that only God can see in private. He wants our hearts to be bent on him, to see him face to face. And I love this little phrase right here in verse 6. Jesus reminds us that our Father sees in secret and he will reward us. He is omnipresent. Sometimes we forget that our God sees all things even in the quiet places of our house when we are praying, even in the late nights when we are crying out to God over a broken heart, our God sees us. Well, what is this reward that Jesus is talking about? Well, it's God himself. The reward is fellowship and communion with God 
himself. Well, why is that a reward, you might be asking. It's because you get the opportunity to sit face-to-face with the living God. Face-to-face with the living God. You can have a heart-to-heart conversation with the living God in prayer. It's an opportunity for your mind to be reoriented to the gospel. It's it's an opportunity for your heart to seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. It's an opportunity for you to sit with the one who made all things. One of my favorite chapters in all the scriptures is Job chapter 28. And it's basically talking about you cannot sit with God face to face and be the same. You cannot sit with God face to face and walk away unchanged. Man seeks for wisdom everywhere, glory everywhere, and he cannot find it. But there is a mountain in which our God dwells. And we can mine that mountain for silver. And we can look for the gold that only God can provide. And when we sit with God and God alone in our meditations, we come away changed. We come away happy. Our fears burn off. When we're face to face with God, our anxieties die. Uh, Your heart is restored to hope. Your burdens are lifted. When we see the face of God in our prayers, in the quiet places of our heart, we are fellowshipping with the one who made us and knows all things about us. George Mueller, a Christian evangelist, said, I, I, saw, I, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how I might serve the Lord or how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man may be nourished. I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of God's word, to prayer and to meditation. Go, beloved, and make your soul happy by being with God. This reveals the motivations that are amongst us. If I were to be completely honest with you, when I was a younger, younger, let's just say boy, I really looked at God and Santa as no different. I would go to God requesting things and hoping that I would get the object that I was requesting. And we know that we can go to God and he meets our needs. We're going to get into that momentarily. But I used to want to be so reunited with the object that I preferred that I forgot the one who united or could, was able to unite me with what I wanted. It wasn't until I was in my early 20s that prayer began to really convict me at a deeper level. It was an opportunity for me to truly sit face to face with the living God. I, I came across a quote by Charles Spurgeon when I was 24 years old. If you're 24 years old, listen to me. This, this changed my life. If you're not 24, I hope it changes your life still. But here it is. It is a good rule never to look into the face of a man when you wake up in the morning until you have had an opportunity to look into the face of God, studying him at the mountain. That same man is known as the prince of preachers, and he later said this, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. Sitting with God. When you pray, beloved, do you approach the God of the universe as if he actually exists? As if he actually wants to reveal himself to you in fellowship? 
Do you treat God as a means to reunite you with a desire that you have? Uh, Do you lack the faith to even pray to God? Uh, Are you afraid that he won't forgive you? My encouragement to you, before you utter a word in prayer, is to take a few moments to remember, to reorient who he is, who it is that you are actually addressing, who it is that you are going to be speaking with. This is a person and the one true living person of all time, our God. Now look with me in verse 8 as we continue this, uh, these takeaways. This is the second takeaway. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask, because our God knows all things. He knows what we need even before we ask him. So the second takeaway, pray to God convinced. Pray to God convinced. That means we go to him and we recognize that he already knows what we need. We're not necessarily making him aware of our needs. If you remember, he is omniscient. He he doesn't respond to us the same way that we respond to our children when they're asking for a glass of milk. They show up to your right and you're like, what do you need? And they're like, I'm thirsty. And we're surprised. Like God already knows what it is that we need. So there must be another reason that God wants us to go to him in prayer. He wants us to express that faith in who he is. He wants to remind us that we are fully reliant upon him for everything. If we were to to be really honest, we don't really think that. So oftentimes we take matters into our own hands. We do things uh, out of our own nature rather than just sitting and resting in the fact that God already knows what we need even before we ask. And there's confidence, therefore, for the church to go to God in prayer. If you remember what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us through a curtain, what is the curtain? That is his flesh. Verse 22, let us draw near then with a true heart in full assurance of faith. We can pray to God with confidence because Christ has provided his blood. He has been sacrificed for us. We can go to God. He already knows what we need. How often do we not go to God because we are not confident that he can provide what we need? God knows exactly what we need and even more. Now look with me, verses 9 through 13, because Jesus is about to teach his disciples how to pray and what it is that we are to pray for. This is known as the Lord's Prayer or throughout church history, the model prayer. Look with me in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the third little takeaway for us today from the Lord's Prayer is to pray to God faithfully. And inside the school of Jesus' teaching, Jesus is teaching us what it looks like to pray faithfully. We can pray with confidence and we can pray faithfully Because our God hears 
our requests. When he says, pray then like this, Jesus is actually giving a command in verse 9. Have you ever thought about that? So there's an expectation that we pray when you pray. And then he gives us a command, pray then like this. I love what Tozer says. Tozer says, some people's lives would drastically change if they would obey God as strictly as they obey their doctors. Think about that. We do exactly what a doctor tells us to do. But here God is telling us to pray in this way and we would do well to be faithful to pray in this manner. So this model prayer is rooted in a desireship to know or a desire to know God and to fellowship with the God of the universe. And to have our agenda, uh, our perspectives shaped by the God of the universe. Uh, not coming with our own agendas, our own desires, but, but aligning our hearts with his. Look what it says. We pray to our Father. Now this is plural. It's noticeably plural, in fact, because Jesus has just been talking about praying in secret, in the secret places of our closets, and now he's bringing in this plural way that we are to pray. The Sermon on the Mount, the passage that we find ourselves in, is full of singular pronouns until we get to prayer. And then he starts talking about how we are to pray corporately. We are to pray together because he is, in fact, our father, which makes us his children, and it makes each other siblings with one another. And we all have access to God through Christ together. So think rightly of him as a father. Uh, sometimes we align God's fathering with our own experience of earthly fathers, and that's not the case. Our Father who is in heaven is perfect. He's compassionate. He's just, and he's perfect in his love. And he is always truthful. He is a perfect gift giver. We see in James 1 that every good and perfect gift comes from the right hand. Uh, we see that in Luke 11, that human beings can actually give good gifts. But then Jesus teaches, how much more will your heavenly Father give to you the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Our God is always willing to give us gifts. He's never distracted. Had, was your dad ever distracted when you were trying to tell him a story? Our Father is never distracted. Psalm 511 says that he hears our requests and our laments. He is always listening. Perhaps you're sitting in the chair today with a broken heart because of something that you're going through right now. And the laments and the, and, and the prayers that you're petitioning feel so weak to you. But I want you to remember that your God hears you because he's, he's a perfect heavenly father. He, he's perfect in his discipline. Uh, he shapes us. Uh, uh, he, he doesn't over-discipline us and he doesn't under-discipline us. He's disciplining us so that we would be faithful children that belong to him. Our God's love is unconditional love. That's Jeremiah 31. He is perfect in love. There's nothing that we can do that would not allow his love to fall upon us at any moment. It's always on us. This is our Father. So when we say our Father... We go to him as the loving father for who he is and not the false father that we often assign to him. He is the one 
true God because he is our omnipotent heavenly father. Now see what Jesus teaches us as we pray. This is a a, a prayer that is riddled with the glory of God. It is fashioned to the kingdom advancement. Hallowed be your name, it says in verse 9. Hallow is not a word we often use, but it means that God's name would be honored, that it would be holy, that, that we would consider his name and not our own name as the hypocrites were doing. God, defend your name. God, advance your name. God, protect your name as it's stitched to the backs of those who are in your church. Hallowed be your name. That's the centerpiece of this prayer because we want the gospel to be intact. We want the the church to be faithful and we want the gospel to advance to the four corners of the earth. Look what he says continued. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's like Jesus is telling us to pray for the gospel to be advanced, for the name of God to be known, for the glory of God to be known, for the ethics of the kingdom that are practiced in the perfect places of heaven to be practiced now on the earth. The Christian desperately desires for the reign of God to take place on this earth. Not satisfied with the kingdoms of this earth. Lord, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Christian, we ought to desire for the earth to joyfully worship what heaven in this moment is right now seeing. This shapes our prayer. Our agendas need to go and die. They need to go and die as we approach the God of the universe May we long to promote his name. May we long to promote his will on this earth. And you might say, well, Blair, that is my agenda. Well, I, I praise God for that. And, and, and I, I, I pray that we would grow, that this would be our agenda more and more. But a good way to test that is to examine how much you are praying this, that his name would be hallowed, hallowed and his gospel would be advanced. How much do you talk about this? How much do you practice this? Are you in anguish when it's not being done? Are you in anguish when you see the brokenness of this world? Are you grieved when you see what the world is holding on to rather than the hallowed name of our God? Now, I do want us to see kind of the closing parts of this little verse that our God-centered prayers Uh, are rooted in requests also, but it's never separate from the hallowed name of God. It's not like we pray for God's name to be hallowed and then we go on to our own agenda. Now, God, let let, let us pray. Let us pray in this way. Uh, The the hallowed name of God is, is entrenched in everything that we pray. See with me below. God, give us today our daily bread. Notice that Jesus is praying for daily bread. Notice that Jesus is referring to the needs that we have every day. So he's just prayed for God's, uh, Jesus is saying, pray that God's name would be hallowed. And then he's saying, a, a way that God's name is hallowed is by recognizing that he provides bread to you. And for you to be thankful for that bread. He didn't tell us to pray for a bunch of storehouse stuff. Uh, an overabundance. No, God is telling us that today, God, give us bread today, bread and water today. 
If we had so much, it would be so easy for us to, under, to think that we don't need God. But recognizing that we need him today not only allows us to be thankful for what he provides, but it's also a reminder that his name is attached to us as he cares for his people. I, I hope we pray at mealtime. I hope we thank God for food because he has provided these things. But oftentimes we pray in platitudes. Oftentimes we rush to get to the, the wonderful meal that is in front of us. May we stop and recognize that the God of the universe has given us bread. And we recognize that he's doing this because he says he would do it. And he wants us to ask for his provision and plea that his name will be recognized because of the provision that happens for us every single day. Here's the reality. We, we know that we don't deserve the bread and water that God gives to us every day. Do you, do you realize? We don't deserve it. Now, the pagans believe that they deserve it. And, and God still gives them bread and water every day. But the Christian realizes he does not deserve bread and water. And we're thankful for it. So we pray and ask God to continue to be faithful to provide for us. Look what else we ask God for. God, would you forgive us our debts? Meaning, would you forgive us our sins? Uh, would you give us the ability to forgive others who have sinned against us? Nestled in this instruction at the very heart is true Christianity. It's the teaching that Jesus is giving to his disciples that the Christian must ask for his sins to be forgiven. Now, Jesus never had to ask for this. He's teaching the disciples to pray as sinful people. But Christ himself was not a sinner. He was perfect. So he's teaching us to pray. And when you pray for your sins to be forgiven, you're acknowledging two things. One, that you're a sinner. And that you uh, are not a holy God. And that you cannot fulfill the law. The second thing that you are uh, recognizing is that you need a holy God to forgive you of your sins. Luke 5 says that only God forgives sins. And that forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ alone. If you are here today and you are not a Christian, I would tell you, you can become a Christian by asking God to forgive you of sin. He has the power to forgive you of sin. Now, to the Christian here, this is instruction for us to continue to ask for our sins to be forgiven. Uh, not for our positional forgiveness, which means that we ask God to forgive us of our sins as uh, we recognize his holiness, we repent of our sin. That's called positional forgiveness. And, and that happens when we're justified by, by grace alone through faith alone. But we also recognize this relational forgiveness that Jesus is teaching here and that is also taught in 1 John. When it says we confess our sin, if, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, forgive us of our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. We continue to be in relationship with God by confessing our sins to one another. When we confess our sins, it means that we agree with God that we are a sinner. We're, that's what confession means. God, I agree with you that I am sinful. And so Christ is teaching the disciples to do this all the time recognizing that we, uh, when we don't agree with God about our sin, that we are, then, the dis, then the fellowship is displaced. It's broken. Uh, we, were, we, we start thinking self-righteously about ourselves, or we start holding debts against other people in a way that we should not. But Jesus is teaching us here 
to recognize where, where forgiveness comes from, to request it, and to walk in it. If my sons sin against me or I sin against my sons, uh, there's brokenness in the home until there's recognition of where the fracture took place. That's simply what's being taught here. And, and in fact, if we look down in verses 14 and 15 very quickly, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you of your trespasses. Not recognizing the forgiveness that Christ has given to you will not allow you to forgive other people. If you recognize the forgiveness that you have received in Christ Jesus, recognizing the sin that is ever before you and recognizing the holy God that is ever before you even more like a roaring lion crushing your sin, recognizing the work that he's done, then you are able then to give forgiveness to other people. Well, I just want us to see the last thing that he talks about in verse 13. Jesus says, and, and pray that you would not be led into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So God has the power to forgive sins, and, and God has the power to keep us from sinning. Do you think that you can overcome sin by handling temptation yourself? Do you think that you can rely on your own flesh in regard to sin? He wants to protect us because his name, his hallowed name is attached to us. Wherever we go, we represent him. Lord, wherever we go, would you lead us not into temptation? How little we ask for God not to lead us, or to not to be led into temptation. And how often we fail. Oh, that we would find in our prayers a desire not to sin tomorrow. To not sin as we walk down the path. This is how we pray. This is at the root of it. Everything that we have, bread that we need on a daily basis, and the greatest gift that we can possibly be given, which is the forgiveness of sins, all of it comes from God. That means prayer is rooted in this beautiful fellowship, this beautiful relationship with God. Everything comes from him. Nothing comes from our flesh or can be built through our flesh. Nothing. Remember this. So how do we respond today? Just a few quick responses as we consider, as we consider prayer today, as we consider how we ought to pray. The first thing I want to remind you, keep the cross and resurrection in the front of your mind. Keep the cross and resurrection in the front of your mind. We need to be reminded of God uh, we, we need to be reminded of the cross. This humbles us. This reminds us of the great gift of forgiveness. Not only in, in the ability to forgive others, but it, it keeps us from relying upon our own self-performance as we go to the throne of grace. We cannot perform our way into heaven. There is nothing, there's, there's no one who is righteous. In fact, it says in the scriptures that only God is good. And being reminded of that helps us to remember our need for the cross and Jesus' work that has been accomplished for us. Number two, linger in God's word. Linger in God's word as you prepare to pray and for your prayer. 
I love the great Puritan quote that says, pray until you pray. I think about that all the time. You know what I'm talking about. Like the first 40 seconds sometimes of prayer, our minds are going a thousand directions. Sit there, linger in God's word, be shaped by the word of God before you pray and in your prayer. Begin to pray, start to pray, and then the spirit of God at some point will take over. I love what Thomas Watson said. The reason we come away sometimes so cold from reading God's word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fires of meditation. We do not linger. Beloved, we linger on our phones. Beloved, we linger in conversation. Uh, we, We linger at the office. We linger in our emails. We linger all over the place. Linger in God's word. And know God. We are so distracted. And the Bible moves us to pray rightly. There is nothing more important for your soul than God. There is nothing more important for your family or your work or this church than for you to commune with the living God. So would you linger? Linger and eat the food that comes at that table. It is rich and it is nourishing food. You might be asking, how do I pray the scriptures? We always want to be praying the scriptures. Think about a small little text. This is just an example. Think about what, how John the Baptist introduces Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's just one little sentence in the Holy Scriptures. Just think in how you can marinate and meditate on that one phrase. Lord, remind me today that the Lamb of God has taken away my sin. Uh, uh, Lord, help me today to recognize where my sin is so I can put them at the feet of the Lamb. Just simple prayers like that. And then third, as we wrap up, be faithful to pray the Lord's Prayer. Not out of vain repetitions or, 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 or history or tradition but faithfully depending upon God for all things, having our hearts shaped for the glory of God to be advanced in this world, having the name of God hallowed being our top primary focus as a Christian. And we can pray this in every part of our lives. There's so many applications that I can give to you. You can put those to practice in your own life, in your own marriages this week. Uh, Children, how you pray the Lord's Prayer ought to be faithfully done. So talk with your parents about what that looks like. Mom and dad, teach your children to pray. A single in your small group, uh, would you learn together what it looks like to pray the Lord's Prayer faithfully, the very tenets of the Lord's Prayer, which is the glory of God in all things. If you are looking to grow in prayer, find a place to pray. Yes, we pray without ceasing. Uh, We breathe in, breathe out our prayers. But Jesus also has in mind to go to a place in your house, close the door and to pray. And your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. Uh, Find a place and ask God for help as you grow in prayer. Corporately, I don't know what this looks like in the days ahead. We're not making any changes right now in our corporate prayer. All we're trying to build right now is conviction on the responsibility we have to pray to this living God. 
and we want to praise God. We want to adore God. We want to confess our sins. And we confess our sins, that leads to thanksgiving. And when we are thankful people, we begin to pray for people rightly. We begin to pray for the burdens that we all carry by faith, knowing that the one who uh, is over all things hears our prayers. If you're in a small group, pray uh, faithfully together. Confess your sins. Recognize your weakness. Point each other to the God that we've talked about today. And I, I, I promise you, our communities will be gracious, healthy, missional communities when we begin to have God as the centerpiece of all prayer. Now let's go to the Lord in prayer today as we respond in the deep places of our hearts. Father, thank you for your word. Father, we pray that we would be a people who pray, not to be recognized by our peers, but to be faithful in your presence, Lord. We want your name to be hallowed everywhere. We want your will to be done on this earth, Father, just as it is in heaven. We long for the day. Father, where uh, we're, we're brokenness is restored and the gospel is just celebrated widely, God, please, Help us to continue to trust you in prayer. Help us to recognize that our sins have been forgiven and to walk by faith and not by sight. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.